Yo, Rob Harvilla from 60 Songs That Explain the 90s here to inform you that we are back with 30 more songs because the 90s were super long and had a ton of rad music. Please join us every Wednesday for more 60 Songs That Explain the 90s only on Spotify. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series and outstanding supporting actress in a limited series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. All right, it is Thursday, June 9th, and we are coming at you with the emergency pod that we know you wanted. We're talking all things Disney today. If you haven't seen the news, there was a major shakeup at the Walt Disney Company. The number two executive, for, for most parts, the, the head of all TV and streaming content, Peter Rice, was fired today, abruptly fired. It was not a, you know layoff it was not a you know leaving to do another job or spend time with the family this was a absolute firing and it's a big deal in content circles because this guy is in charge of everything from hulu to abc to abc news to anything in television and streaming this guy had a, a role in creating it so we're going to get into it today we're going to talk to alex sherman who is a media reporter at cnbc and follows disney very closely He's been working the phones today. I've been talking to people. People keep reaching out to me, the, you know, the agents and the filmmakers who have known this guy, Peter Rice, for decades. He was at the Fox companies who worked for the Murdochs forever. People are pissed and it's a big deal. And it really is a, a interesting insight into how the CEO of Disney, Bob Chapek, is managing this super big, sprawling, iconic company. So we're going to get into all that today. And uh, Alex has some interesting insights. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Alex Sherman. Alex is a media and entertainment reporter with CNBC. And Alex, big news today. We had a, uh, a shocker. I, I don't use that term lightly, but this was a shocker. The number two executive at Disney on the content side, Peter Rice, in charge of all of television, all of streaming was abruptly fired, not stepped away, not you know pursuing other interests or spending more time with the family. This was, he was let go. He was fired by the CEO, Bob Chapek. And I want you, you cover this stuff very closely as I do. And I am very curious your take. What is Disney saying about this versus what actually happened? So look, when you say shocker, this was a shocker to Peter Rice. He did not see this coming. Uh, so it wasn't just a shocker to the media. Um, and in fact, from what I'm told, Peter Rice's meeting with Bob Chapek, where Chapek told him he was fired, was very short. Uh, so I don't even know that Peter Rice fully understands why he was fired. 
uh, or at least the extent of it. From what I know, and we're coming at this just hours after uh, you know this was revealed. This happened yesterday and then revealed this morning. From what I know so far, and this is an evolving story, so what I may know three hours from now may be different, you know, or, or, or a week from now may be different from what I can tell you right now. But from what I know, Peter Rice, it was decided from Bob Chapek based on uh, a series of uh, discussions he has had with other executives at Disney. Uh, there has been a, a fairly consistent drumbeat that Rice is not uh, the best team player, that Peter Rice is concerned about his own fiefdom, uh, which is sort of running content, uh, speaking directly with Hollywood talent, greenlighting series uh, for uh, streaming, as you mentioned, and for the various linear networks that Disney owns, uh, but not necessarily great at sharing information with other executives um, or particularly interested uh, in collaborating. So that so he is came from I, Fox. I mean, this is not a Fox. career Disney guy. He was a Murdoch lieutenant for many years, came in the Fox acquisition about four or five years ago. And, you know, they had integrated him pretty well. I mean, this was a job that I think a lot of people wanted. He got it. And they had kind of turned the corner. They were having some success with the shows on Hulu. Uh, they were confident, you know, he re-upped just last year for another three-year deal. Um, they're going to have to pay him out now. So there, it wasn't like this had been building. And I have heard some rumblings as well that there was a fiefdom issue where he, you know, Chapek has his people that he brought with him from his side of the company when he took over. Many of those people have been empowered and they didn't necessarily see Peter Rice as a team player. But is that a reason to sack the guy in the middle of, you know, Disney overall has been having so many problems. They're in this Florida fight. The stock has hit a, you know, it was the worst performing stock on the Dow in 2021. It's down another third this year. I mean, this is a CEO who I hate to use this word and on the press box, they would make fun of me, but he is an embattled CEO. And to do this, to come in and sack this guy who has such a profile within the industry, it's, and he runs ABC News, and you know, it's a very unique job. It's a, it's a, a pretty surprising development to me. So, look, there's a lot to unpack there, and I guess that's our job to do this. So Peter Rice is fired. He is the leader of content. And what is the Disney company communications response? It is a statement, and I will read you the statement. This, again, is in response to Peter Rice's firing. The statement comes from Susan Arnold, the chair of Disney's board. Here's the statement. The strength of the Walt Disney Company's businesses coming out of the pandemic is a testament to Bob Chapek's leadership and vision for the company's future. In this important time of business growth and transformation, we are committed to keeping Disney on the successful path it is on today, and Bob and his leadership team have the support and confidence of the board. There is nothing in that statement about Peter Rice's firing. It is all addressed about Bob Chapek. So this is where this story gets really interesting to me, which is all of these various uh, 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 over the past couple months, I wrote a story several months ago about the frayed relationship between previous Disney CEO Bob Iger 
and his handpicked successor, Bob Chapek, the current CEO. Obviously, you have talked at length about the don't say gay legislation and how Bob Chapek and Disney sort of bungled that on previous podcasts you have done. This is the first time we have heard from the board uh, a public statement supporting Bob Chapek, and it comes now when Peter Rice is fired. Th those two things are not like logically connected, per se. Well, and, and at least to the, the Hollywood community, the fact that they put out that statement says everything you need to know about the status that Bob Chapek has within the industry. Everybody was going to take this as a sign of weakness. And, you know, the fact that Peter Rice was sitting there and many people, at least in the Hollywood community, thought that Rice might make a better CEO than Bob Chapek, certainly at a time where the stock is in the crapper as it is. And, you know, the fact that Chapek now comes in and kind of outs the lieutenant before the lieutenant can oust him, that's what people are talking about. And that's why people think the board put out the statement to try to get ahead of that and change the narrative. And indeed, in many of the press reports about this firing, it leads with the board's statement because it's so unusual and then gets into Peter Rice getting fired because, you know, and perhaps that was the reason from a perception standpoint. I 100% agree. There was a an unsaid logic leap here, which is unusual. Again, I mean, Disney comms, I, I suppose, has, has uh, uh, put its stake in the ground for unusual reactions to things this year. Scarlett Johansson is one, and the Florida don't say gay. I mean, it's been one communications gap after another. And, and by, by the way, they even have a new communications leader now. Jeff Morell, who's yeah. the old communications leader, isn't even there anymore. So this, these, these right, are new fired. people now making this decision. Uh, but the, the, the unsaid logic leap here is that uh, Peter Rice was gunning for the CEO job. And so Bob Chapek dismissed him because he felt the pressure. And so that's what Disney wanted to get ahead of saying, like, look, you know, we don't we're like, like we're behind Bob Chapek. Like, you know, this the one thing doesn't have to do with the other. Uh, one thing that I uh, uh, have have uh, uncovered in the past, you know, uh, X amount of hours that I've been reporting this today is that. Uh, Peter Rice actually interviewed for a job last year uh, with David Zaslav at, at, at Warner Brothers Discovery, a top content job there. Uh, this was when, uh, right before he re-upped with Disney last year. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I suppose, at least somewhat telling that Rice was at least thinking about departing Disney uh, if, if that job had, had come together as he liked it, from what I'm told. David Zaslav decided not to hire him because he did not want an extra layer between him and the division heads that run uh, TV and film uh, at Warner Brothers Discovery. He sort of wanted to be, uh, you know, the guy that everybody uh, uh, funneled into, and he didn't want a middleman there. Uh, so Rice ended up going back to Disney. Um, but I do think part of this probably has to do with uh, organizational structure at Disney and this sort of continuing uh, evolution of what uh, Bob Chapek has already put into place about rejiggering the way Disney works. And, and maybe right. one thing we don't really know yet is that the new head of TV is Dana Walden, who has been Rice's top lieutenant. Now, there is a glowing statement from Dana today uh, about sort of her excitement for taking over the job. Uh, there's no, again, no reference to the fact that like, hey, you know, like my, my boss is out of a job now. 
So, like, great for Dana Walden. But you, you, you do have to wonder, like, was there some sort of assessment at Disney that uh, Dana Walden was the better person for this job? And perhaps Dana agreed with that assessment. Perhaps. And I, but I think the big thing is that there was a decision made at the very top of Disney that this guy, Peter Rice, was, quote, not the best fit culture-wise. And that can mean many different things. It can mean, you know, that you, he was angling for the top job. It can mean that he came from the Murdoch culture, which is a little bit more cutthroat and uh, not necessarily the family vibe that they want. Not, not saying that the Walt Disney Company is a family-oriented organization. It can be cutthroat as well. But, you know, listen, Chapek, I guess, as the CEO, wants his own person. And Rice was brought in by Iger. And this, he was an Iger person. And yeah. this is, is hypersensitive about making cuts from that era and making building his own team. Like you said, he's made this structural change where the content creation is has been separated from the decisions on where to distribute that content, which is how we get Pixar movies going directly to Disney+. Plus. It's how we get a determination of whether shows go to Hulu or ABC or ABC Family or any of their various platforms. And perhaps he thought that Peter Rice was not the best person in that role to effectuate that strategy. It should be noted, though, that it's not like Dana Walden is exactly his person either, right? I mean, she 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 also came from sort of the the outside, and it wasn't a direct uh, JPEG hire. She was with Fox as well, right? And she's a very much a like she's very much a kind of West Side, you know, talent friendly hobnobs with the the creators and isn't seen as like a you know business PL person like chapek is i doubt that they will socialize together for sure and, and so so here's the interesting part though the, peter rice uh, there are several disney executives who are still at the company who have been uh very much uh in disagreement with the general big organizational change that bob chapek made at disney which is, uh, in a nutshell, to give this guy Kareem Daniel, who's sort of been his right-hand man for many years, uh, uh, complete power over the PL there, over the budget, more or less, uh, in broad terms. Uh, and, and, and instead of keeping those powers with the division heads, the interesting thing here is that Peter Rice actually agreed with that decision. He is not one of the disgruntled executives at Disney who sort of lamented this decision about how the budget power was taken away from him. From, from, from what I know about Peter Rice, he, A, has always gotten along with Kareem Daniel, and B, was quite okay with this because he felt like his talent and interest was best served simply by being able to have the ability to greenlight shows and talk directly with Hollywood talent about whether or not Disney would pick up their whatever they're working on. And he was actually given that right. That right was taken away uh, from the previous head of Disney streaming, Kevin Mayer, and given back to uh, the division heads, including Peter Rice, by Bob Chapek. So, so that is an interesting wrinkle to this, which is that he's sort of now being cast as this uh, person who is not a good team player, but he actually was supportive of this large organizational change that Chapek made that many others at Disney disagreed with, including Bob Iger, by the way. Uh, but but Rice was not one of them. Where does this fall on the scale of executive knife in the back? Uh, are we talking like Katzenberg Eisner 
situation? Are we talking like, uh, you know, Ovid's situation? So I, I, that's a great question. And like my honest answer to that is I don't know that we have enough information yet to answer that question. Right. I like it, it, there, there feels like maybe there is a little bit more to this and that will be incumbent upon us to figure out what it is uh, uh, to figure out the extent of the knife in the back here. All we know right now is that Peter Rice didn't see this coming. Um, but like, you know, that happens often, I suppose, where executives are, are totally blindsided by something, but the characterization of him as sort of not being this team player, that's, I think the part where, uh, you know, we as reporters may need to do a little bit more digging in terms of finding concrete examples of when he was pissing off other people at Disney. And maybe it got to a breaking point where Chapek said, okay, enough is enough here. And we think uh, Dana Walden can do the job. Yeah, I've heard a little bit about some infighting between the people who were making and delivering the shows, the people who were delivering, you know, who were distributing them, and some tension there about Rice backing the creators. So perhaps that's going to be one angle. It also could be that they don't like each other and JPEG wanting someone that is on his page. Peter Rice has a, you know, a, he's British. He has a very kind of erudite air about him. And it might just be that, like, Chickpeck is a fried chicken theme park guy, and Peter Rice is a, you know, West Side champagne guy. So, Matt, let, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. The board comes out with a statement for the first time backing Bob Chapek. His contract, Bob Chapek's contract, is up in February of next year. Disney has not extended its contract. Do you read this public? support statement of JPEG as basically uh, cementing that Disney will now renew JPEG's contract? No, absolutely not. I think this statement means next to nothing. They could, in six months, they could say, you know what? We gave him the chance. We backed his decision. I mean, think about this. This is a personnel decision. This is not a strategic change for the company in the sense that, you know, it's not buying a video game company or, you know, some of the deals Disney has done. It's not buying Pixar or Lucasfilm or some of the deals that Bob Iger had to go to the board and ask permission for. This is something that the CEO should be able to do. If he wants to change the, the content head, he can do that. So, of course, they're going to let him do that. But putting out this statement, I think, was designed from a communication standpoint to give him the chance to do that. Here's Okay, here's question number two. If this decision as I'm being told, was made about the fact that he, that Peter Rice was not collaborative enough, not a good enough sharer of information. Does that portend a change that we have not seen yet at Disney that is based on collaboration? In other words, is there something to come at Disney, whether it's the, the combination of uh, Hulu and Disney Plus and ESPN Plus or something else that requires sort of the working together of division heads of, you know, maybe, I don't know if something else comes to your mind there, uh, where perhaps Peter Rice is standing in the way of it. Yeah. I think that that's a possibility. I mean, I I don't know that you necessarily need to get rid of someone like Peter Rice, who, by the way, has been considered a collaborative and smooth operator throughout his career i mean that's sort of been his calling card is that he's the adult in the room he's not a streamer by the way like internally well liked even if not like the best team player like personally well liked i think 
Absolutely. So I, I don't necessarily think that it means something is coming, um, but I, I do think that Chapek feels that he's on the hot seat. He's working right now for a new deal. He knows that the stock is not going to help him. He's not going to be able to count on that. He knows that there have been big political problems that he has steered the company into with the Florida stuff. That's not going away. And I think he thinks that the board probably wouldn't let him do some kind of transformational deal right now, given his status. He's not, he's not going to be able to go and do a Pixar-style deal because I think the board will question that. But they're not going to question a personnel move. This is something he can do to change the conversation. In his mind, he's probably being decisive. He's saying, this is my team. I want to run it how I want. If you're not on board, we're going to get rid of you. Nobody's safe. So perhaps that buys some time. But ultimately, I think the board is going to evaluate his performance as CEO and decide whether they want to make that move and make a change. But they've got to do it soon. I will say that. They need to make a decision soon because if you want to renew a guy by February, you've got to start negotiating by probably the end of summer, early fall. And this is the time now. He's got to show that he's doing something. And and in, in your opinion, to show that he's doing something, does that necessarily mean he's got to get the stock price up or is it something more vague? Well, obviously, that's the goal. The goal is to get the stock price up. Although, ironically, I haven't checked in the last 20 minutes, but the stock dropped on this news. Um, obviously, people don't love that the board has to give a vote of confidence in the CEO and that they're getting rid of, you know, a content company getting rid of its top content executives. Not great. You know, maybe he thinks that there will be a turnaround soon. Um, but I think he's got to think about what he can do if he can't bring the stock up. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, you, look, D Disney's stock has traded on Disney Plus subscribers. Um, in other words, uh, if, if Disney announced a Disney Plus subscriber number that was higher than what analysts estimated uh, each quarter, the stock would go up, generally speaking. If they announced a number that was lower, the stock would go down. That narrative sort of went out the window when Netflix announced that it had uh, uh, that its growth had stagnated. And the reason for that is the media narrative over the past couple of years has been if these legacy media companies, Disney at the forefront, could transform its business into something that looked more like Netflix, then investors would value these legacy media companies in a way that was more similar to Netflix. What has happened here is that the, instead of that happening, the, the, the bubble has burst on Netflix. Netflix's valuation has come way down. I mean, that stock is down. 66% this year. So along with that, the air has also come out of the legacy media companies, Disney again at the top of that list, as you mentioned, worst performing stock in the Dow. So the big media question here, which very much JPEG is in the center of, is do we just keep pushing forward with streaming or do we need to like do something else here in order to get investors back on our corner? So he probably needs a little bit more time. It may be unfair of him to come up with a solution of that in the next four to six months here before a decision on his contract is going to need to be made. Um, but nevertheless, that's what the board is going to have to evaluate. Is this guy the right guy to figure out the whatever it is to get investors back on our corner? And maybe it is streaming. Maybe it's simply making streaming a more profitable business. 
That alone may be enough. Disney has said that Disney Plus will become profitable in 2024. Maybe that's enough. Disney also has a number out there that they expect 230 million to 260 million Disney Plus subscribers uh, by the end of 2024. If they do not hit that number, uh, and, and there's reason to suspect they might not, particularly if they don't renew uh, 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 cricket in India, which is a big driver of the subscribers, the Indian subscribers, through something called Hotstar, which is included in Disney Plus. Then you have to wonder, is that sort of the nail in his coffin? They put out this subscriber number and they didn't hit it. Uh, and that will be sort of the excuse the board needs to move on from him. But I think those are the questions that the Disney board has to be uh, thinking about in the next few months. Yeah, and Disney has been really killing it in the parks. They're killing it there. The market does not care. The market doesn't move on the parks now. It moves on streaming, which is a problem. All right. Thank you, Alex Sherman. Appreciate you coming on the pod. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you inviting me. All right, we are back with the call sheet, my daily prediction. And Craig and I both saw Jurassic World the other night, went to the premiere. Uh, it was a great event. I came away. You know what? It's dinosaurs. Dinosaurs everywhere. Yeah, uh, it is exactly what you think it's going to be. And it's not exactly like a great thing, but it's also not a bad thing. <laughs> There's one great chase sequence that is basically like a Bourne movie, but with dinosaurs and motorcycles. Uh, and there's some cool, interesting stuff where people are almost eaten. It's a cool scene on on ice on a frozen lake. That's frozen cool. a dinosaur on a frozen lake. Uh, if that's what you're expecting, then you will be happy with Jurassic Park Dominion. It's kind of like Fast and Furious dinosaurs. Totally. And one like there was a variety critic that wrote this week. Let's be clear. It doesn't matter what I say about Jurassic World Dominion. It's going to make so much money. <laughs> It defies logic. It's a movie where things just happen and people know things, quote, because <laughs> smoke a joint, go drunk, and have the time of your life. <laughs> He's so, not wrong. Yeah. You know, like, we're all, we get too picky these days about movies. Like, it's it's visually incredible. Just go. You'll have a fine time. Right. Uh, okay. So the tracking on this movie is about 140. Depends who you believe. Anywhere between 130 and 150. I'm going to go, I'm going to say the tracking is 140. I'm actually going to take the under Ooh. on this. I think that because the reviews are so kind of cheeky and negative and because Top Gun has held so well, that will take some of the older audience away. I think this movie will probably open a little bit under expectations. The most recent in the series, Fallen Kingdom in 2018, opened to 148 domestic. So I think it's going to be well below that and you know, probably in the 120, maybe closer to 130 range. I've been hit and miss on these uh, tracking predictions. I, I, I got Top Gun. I said it would be over 100 for the four-day and probably closer to 125. It ended up being over 125 for the three-day Memorial Weekend, not even including that fourth day in which it got a bunch of other bunch of extra money. So we'll see how I do with Jurassic World. It's really hard to predict when you get to this level because the numbers can swing so wildly depending on, like, the weather on the East Coast or, you know, the reviews or the fact that uh, something big could happen in the world or the NBA Finals or whatever. Um, so we'll see. All right, that's the show. I want to thank Alex Sherman, CNBC. I want to thank producers Craig Holbeck and Isaiah Blakely. And I want to thank you. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.